Investor Community Podcast. I'm Diana Ritchie. Today, we have a listener question about tax loss harvesting. Our listener writes, what is tax loss harvesting and how can I use this to my advantage? Great question. Also very short and sweet. Tax loss harvesting means you're ginning up some tax losses to reduce your tax bill. And when I say things like ginning up, you might be wondering, is this legal? Is tax loss harvesting legal? Is this legitimate? So we'll dive into all that. We'll split this into three parts. Um, first, we'll do a 101 on tax basis. This is in part because one of our listeners kindly and graciously pointed out that in last week's episode, I threw around the word cost basis or basis, tax basis, like everyone knew what I was talking about. And so let me apologize for that because my intention is never to use confusing jargon, especially not tax jargon. So first, in this episode, we'll do a one-on-one, 101 on tax basis. And then, and tax basis is really relevant. It's really the foundation for tax loss harvesting, which is what we'll explore in part two. What exactly is tax loss harvesting and is it legitimate? You know, is it is it a legal strategy? Then part three of this episode, we'll talk through the pros and cons of tax loss harvesting, how this plays out over time and, and kind of how it works in the long run. And then we'll wrap up with some action steps if you want to do this in your own portfolio. So with that, let's dive in. Tax basis. Okay. Tax basis is pretty much the holy grail of any kind of tax planning. And tax lawyers spend a lot of time thinking about basis, talking about basis, and finding ways to to create more basis. More basis is pretty much always what we're going for. So to level set, what is basis? Well, stepping back big picture conceptually, there are kind of two parts to our individual tax returns. In the first part, the part that you may be most familiar with, it's our income. So that's the part where we pay the normal federal income taxes on the salary that we earn. But then there's conceptually also a second piece to our income tax return. And that's the part where we're paying taxes on any investments that we have. Um, specifically, we're paying tax on if we have profits on investments that we've sold. And you'll hear that referred to as capital gain. It's tax on your investments. So when we're talking about normal income tax, like paying tax on your salary, that's pretty straightforward because you pretty much get taxed on all of it. You know, you, yes, you get some deductions here and there, but the idea is you, you pay tax on almost all of your salary. 
But when we're talking about capital gain and the investment tax portion of our tax return, we actually only get taxed on the profit that we make on our investment. And so I tell you all this because when we're talking about how our investments get taxed, basis is how we measure whether we've made money or lost money on an investment. And that's why it's important because as we know, when we're dealing with capital gains taxes, we only get taxed if we've made money. Let's walk through an example because I think it, it makes more sense with an example. Let's say that you bought a share of Tesla stock for $200 back in 2020 because you were sitting at home and it was COVID and you were bored. So you bought a share of Tesla. Today, that share of Tesla is worth $235. So you made money and that's great because that's what we're trying to do as investors, of course. And so this year, 2023, you decide to that it's time to cash in. You want to sell your share of Tesla. You do sell your share of Tesla and you make $35 of profit, right? Because you bought it for 200, you sold it for 235. You have $35 of profit on your share of Tesla. That's great. Question is, what does the IRS have to say about this profit? And the IRS is going to say to you, okay, you made $35 of profit. You need to write us a check. Now, the good news is that rates on what we call long-term capital gains, in other words, the rate that we pay when we make money on a stock is actually a lot less than the rate that we pay on our regular salary or normal income. So for purposes of this example, we'll assume your long-term capital gains rate is 10% at the federal level. What that means is that on your the $35 you made on Tesla, you write the IRS a check for 10% of that or $3.50. And that's great on two levels, right? It's great because the tax is a lot lower than it is on your salary. And it's also great because I suppose theoretically the IRS could have said, you owe us 10% tax on the full $235 that you got when you sold your Tesla stock, um, which would be really ugly. So bottom line, in this example, your cost basis is the $200 that you originally paid for the Tesla stock. And that cost basis number is super important because that's how we measure how much profit or loss you ultimately have on your Tesla stock. And then in turn, that's what the IRS looks at when they decide how much tax you owe on your investment in Tesla. Okay, so that's basis in a nutshell, how it applies to taxes on, on our investments. And the bottom line on this part one is 
when we're talking about salary or self-employment income, it's a full Monty. You pay tax on all of it. When we're talking about taxes on our investments, we only have to pay tax on the profit for our investments, which is a lot more favorable um, and a lot better. And the key concept behind that, only paying taxes on profits, is this concept of basis, also called tax basis, cost basis. So that's what we mean when we talk about basis in the tax world. Okay, part two, what is tax loss harvesting? Tax loss harvesting, like we said at the beginning, is ginning up some tax losses to reduce your tax bill. And tax lawyers, just to, you know, big picture, tax lawyers love to play games where the goal is for economic purposes, you're going to make real money. You're going to have cash in the bank. But on your tax return, you're going to show that you didn't make any money or that you had a loss. That is one of the foundations of any good tax planning strategy, whether we're talking about a tax planning strategy that's legal or whether we're talking about a tax shelter that's illegal. The game is always to make real money, but be able to show a loss on your return. And the trick with good tax planning is to find that line. We never want to do anything that crosses the line, gets us in trouble with the IRS, or that's illegal. So fortunately, tax loss harvesting is a very legal, legitimate, 100% down the middle um, way to save money on your taxes, as long as you follow some simple guidelines that the IRS has laid out. So let's walk through what that looks like. Basically, when you tax loss harvest, what you want to do is you'll look through your portfolio, you'll find something that you've lost money on, you will sell that losing investment, you'll wait 31 days, and then you'll turn around and you'll rebuy that investment. Those five steps or what it means to do tax loss harvesting. That's probably not making sense, so let's continue our example with Tesla. Okay, it's 2023 again. We have our Tesla stock, we've just sold it. We made our $35 of capital gain, of profit. And even though the capital gains rate may only be 10%, what happens if I don't want to pay tax on my Tesla capital gain this year? That's a totally legitimate thing. Um, I want, don't want to pay capital gains tax if I can avoid it. So what do I do? I log on to my brokerage account and I look through my investments and I see that say my Apple stock is down this year, 2023. 
let's say I bought my Apple stock for $150 back when, and right now it's trading for $100. So this is a perfect candidate for tax loss harvesting. What I do is I sell that Apple stock this year, 2023, and I generate a $50 capital loss. That $50 capital loss offsets my $35 of gain that I had on my Tesla stock. And when I fill out my 2023 tax return, I'm going to tell the IRS that I overall lost $15 on my stock investments for 2023. And that's not a lie that that absolutely, you know, my my gain of 35 is absolutely offset by my loss of 50. Then next step, I wait 31 days and I buy my Apple stock back. Why do I do that? I do that because I don't actually want to lose money on my Apple stock. I want to continue to hold on to it because I think that it's going to come back up as stocks tend to do, right? They go up, they go down. So that's tax loss harvesting in a nutshell. The steps, and we'll, we'll talk about in the next part, we'll talk about how this all plays out, but the mechanics of tax loss harvesting is I've sold something for a profit and then I look through my portfolio and I look at what's down this year and I go ahead and I sell those, I sell those losers. And when I go to fill out my tax return for say 2023 or any other year, my winners offset my losers and that's great. And then the final step in tax loss harvesting is I wait 31 days and I rebuy the loser that I bought, or that, I'm sorry, that I had originally sold. And I rebuy that losing stock because I don't want to miss the subsequent appreciation. I do want to continue to hold that losing stock as a long-term investment. So that's the mechanics of tax loss harvesting. Part three, pros and cons of tax loss harvesting. How does this play out? Is this something I want to be doing? Is this a good idea? Does it make sense? And the short answer is yes. I mark my calendar every year to do my tax loss harvesting. I make a habit of it. It absolutely makes sense. And the benefit is that it can reduce your current year tax bill. So I, I absolutely think it's a good idea. The two downsides that you may or may not be intuiting here are one, this is a tax deferral strategy. This is not a tax avoidance or elimination strategy. So what that means is 
to continue our example, let's fast forward a few years from now, right? We've waited our 31 days and let's say that we've repurchased our Apple stock for say $110, right? We sold it for 100, we waited 31 days, and at the end of that 31 day waiting period, which is what we do because of something called the wash sale rule, the end of that 31 day waiting period, we rebuy our Apple stock for $110. Fast forward, and we sell our Apple stock for $200 several years from now. And the question is, what's our basis in that Apple stock now? How do we measure our profit from a tax perspective? Is it 150, which is what we originally bought Apple for? Or is it 110, which is what we just bought the Apple for the second time around after we did our wash sale? And the answer, as you may guess, is our basis is 110, it's lower. What that means, big picture, is you've essentially, in some sense, just taken part of the tax that you should have paid on your Tesla stock and you've kicked the can down the road. It's not that you're not gonna pay tax on your Tesla profit, it's just that you won't pay that tax until you sell your Apple stock. So tax loss harvesting is a deferral strategy. It's not an elimination strategy. And that's probably why it's legal and legitimate because it's not a total coup de grace against the IRS. It's simply kicking the can down the road. And then the second downside to tax loss harvesting is also one that you can see in our example. Because you sell your Apple stock to, to get the tax loss, but then you have to wait 31 days to rebuy it. And you don't know what's gonna happen to the stock price in those 31 days. Because if the stock price goes up, then you actually do lose money. You have an economic loss on your Apple stock because this is again, because the price can move in that 31 day waiting period, which is mandated, the 31 day waiting period is mandated in the tax code. So the risk of market movement is the second downside to tax loss harvesting. Doesn't mean that I don't recommend it, doesn't mean that I don't do it, doesn't mean that I don't love the strategy. It just means you have to know you're taking on a little economic risk. And again, intuitively, when you ask, is tax loss harvesting legal? The answer is yes, it's legal, probably in part because the IRS says, yeah, we'll throw taxpayers a bone, right? We don't. We, the IRS, don't love it if a taxpayer gins up a tax loss without any economic risk. But in this case, 
we think we're meeting the taxpayers in the middle because they are taking on some economic risk. So yeah, they get the tax loss, but they're also taking on this economic risk because there is this 31 day waiting period rule, the wash sale rule. Again, why tax loss harvesting is a legal strategy in the IRS's eyes. So bottom line on this part three, pros and cons, um, it's tax deferral, not tax elimination. You are taking on some economic risk during the 31 day waiting period, but on the whole, um, like I said, I mark my calendar every year to do this in my own portfolio. I think it's a great strategy, makes a ton of sense. So on the whole, I'd say the pros probably outweigh the cons. So let's bring this home with a little bit of a checklist, some tangible action items, if you wanna do this in your own portfolio. We have about two weeks left in 2023. So if you want to do some tax loss harvesting for 2023, you still have a little bit of time. You still have about two weeks. Here are the action steps. Step one, survey, take a look at your taxable investments. Taxable investments means stuff in your brokerage account, investment real estate, any physical gold or metals that you might have, and your cryptocurrency, if you own any of those. Stuff that is inside your retirement accounts, like IRAs, 401ks, 403Bs, 457 plans is not taxed. So for purposes of tax loss harvesting, ignore any gains and any losses that are inside retirement accounts because they are tax sheltered and they do not apply for tax loss harvesting purposes. Step two, look through your taxable investments and look for anything that has gone down in price since you first purchased it. Again, we're looking at investments inside your brokerage account, maybe crypto that you own, and physical metals are the big examples. Step three, sell those losing investments. To, and this is to capture the tax loss for your 2023 return. Now, to state the obvious, do not let the tax tail wag the dog here. For example, maybe you own an investment property, some investment real estate. That's clearly a taxable investment, but you're not going to sell your sell your investment condo and then for tax purposes and then rebuy it 31 days later. Obviously, it doesn't make sense. So don't let the tax tail wag the dog. Um, but you do want to sell any investments that are currently trading at a loss. 
And one question that comes up here is, should I sell all of my losers or should I only sell some of them? And my approach is when I'm deciding how much to sell, I tend to take all of the losses that I can because not only can those losses offset any capital gains that you might have for 2023, but those losses also can offset up to $3,000 of ordinary non-investment income, like your salary, for example. So it's, it's an additional benefit. So I basically take all of the losses that I can. And if there are losses that can't be used, you can't in 2023, for whatever reason, you can roll them forward to future tax years, which is another reason that when I'm doing my tax loss harvesting, I tend to take all of the losses that I can. And then step four is a cautionary step. It's don't assume that just because you've done your tax loss harvesting for say 2023, that you've wiped out all of your capital gains tax. And that is because there are complicated interactions between short-term capital losses and long-term capital losses. And you don't really know how that's going to play out until you start filling out your tax return for April. You know, you start filling out your 2023 tax return this coming spring. So I tell you that because just because you're doing tax loss harvesting, you'll still want to set aside money to pay your taxes. You'll still want to make your quarterly estimated tax payments. Don't assume that you can wipe out all of your capital gains tax just by doing tax loss harvesting. So step four is a cautionary tale. So that's the wrap. Tax loss harvesting, not a cure-all, but definitely something that's worth doing. Something that I like to do every year and something that I would definitely encourage you to do. So thanks for the great question. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Women's Investor Community Podcast. Of course, if you have questions about money or your personal finances, please feel free to drop us a voice note from the homepage at dianaritchie.com.